good morning, City Light. Uh, I don't know if you know this, we are halfway through our look at the book, Song of Songs. Uh, we're just on the tail end of the Passion and Purity Conference that happened Friday night and Saturday. It was awesome, uh, super fun, and now we're on the second half. So far, as we've looked at the song, things have been pretty perfect and ideal for this husband and wife. Like, almost movie scene picturesque. Like they were out in a field full of green grass and in my mind is knee high about ready to go to seed. And there are trees that are in full bloom arching their branches perfectly over top creating a tunnel between them. There's cedar trees so it smells like a log cabin. And they catch each other's eyes in the distance, right? And they like slow motion bound toward each other, you know? Until they meet and they embrace and while they're in each other's arms they use sweet poetic language to praise each other's character and figure and friendship. And it's all just really dreamy stuff up to this point. I don't know about you, but I think if that's all the song has, it's pretty far from reality. Is anybody else with me? Like, those moments are nice, but that's not the only kind of moments that relationships have. Like, every marriage has two major problems. The husband and the wife, right? There is no perfect marriage because there is no perfect man or perfect woman. And we're going to see that reality in the song today. There's conflict. A storm enters paradise. Drama happens. Now, maybe you guys experience life differently than I do, but I've experienced a fair share of conflict in my relationships, and usually I am right at the source of it. Uh, I remember early on, Sarah and I were engaged. We were in college. We were going through pre-marriage counseling, and the pastor who's counseling us gave us a magnet, and that magnet had four steps to conflict resolution, and truth be told, I don't remember three of them. I remember one, and uh, it said something like, um, the listener was supposed to repeat what the speaker had just said. And that way, the speaker would know they'd been heard and understood. All I heard was repeat what she said. And so the next day, uh, we're at the cafeteria, and I said, hey, babe, we should practice conflict resolution. And she said, let's not. And as the mature young fiancé that I was, I said, what I hear you saying is you don't want to practice conflict resolution with me right now. And that line started a conflict that gave us reason to practice, right? So we sit down, <laughs> we sit down with our friends, and she looks at me and says, Eric, please stop. And you know, I can take a hint once a decade. And so at that time, I said, what I hear you saying is you want me to stop repeating you right now. And my friends start laughing, she starts fuming, I kept repeating, and after a while we decided we should throw that magnet away. It just was not working. Now that was kind of immature, lighthearted conflict, but it revealed something about me, right? I cared more about my own fun than I cared about her feelings. Like My own pleasure mattered more to me than she mattered to me. Conflict has this way of revealing our hearts, what we're really thinking and feeling. And today, as we look at the song, we're going to look at, man, what, is the, what does conflict reveal about the root of what's going on, and how does conflict reveal the resolution to what's going on? 
All right? We're going to look at conflict, how it reveals our hearts, the root and the resolution. Now, the conflict in the song is a whole lot more serious than some uh, immature joking in a cafeteria. We're going to see a midnight argument between a husband and wife with a late arrival, locked doors, lame excuses, and leaving angry. It's the real deal, okay? So buckle in. We're going to look at this story together. Here's how the bride begins. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Can you relate to her? She's sleepy. She's exhausted, but her heart is awake. There's something going on in her heart. Now, we know her husband's not with her, but we don't know where he is. He's just not there, and she's laying in bed awake, and so we get the idea that something's not right. The plan was that he would be there with her, but he's not. He, maybe he was hanging out with his friends later than he had intended to, or maybe work kept him late. We don't know why he's not there. All we know is that he's not there, and she's laying awake. And I, I think probably at the beginning, there's this feeling of wonder and worry for her. What's he doing? Where is he? What's taking him so long? When's he going to show up? And if you're anything like me, as time passes, wonder and worry turns into anger and frustration. He knows I can't sleep when he doesn't get home on time. What is he doing? Where could he possibly be? Why would he not let me know what's going on? And so now she's stressed out. She's sleepy, but her heart's awake. You know where she's at? You relate to that? Okay. So after a while of waiting for him, finally the silence breaks. Okay, here's the Bible. A sound. My beloved is knocking. He says to her, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. So her man finally makes it home. And we know it's late because the dew has already formed and he is soaking wet with it. He knocks on the door. Hey, open up. He knows he's late. So he throws in some compliments to try to smooth things over. Open up, my perfect lovey dove, right? And to this point in the song, you might think she's just going to pop out of bed, throw open the door and greet him with a kiss. But that's not what happened because she's sleepy and she's stressed And in this moment, she's not ready for his little pet names. She's upset with him. And so she makes some excuses. Look at what she says. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on again? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? You see what she's doing just moments before. She was so worried about him and where he might be and what might have happened to him that she couldn't sleep. But now that she knows he's home safe on the other side of that locked door, The worry all goes away, and she just goes passive-aggressive on him. She makes lame excuses. Yeah, you're outside. I got to unlock this door. Guess what? I'm already in my jammies. And if I open that door, there's going to be a cool breeze. So I'd have to put a jacket on first. How could I do that? My feet, they're already cleaned up. It's dirty outside. If I open that door, I'm going to have to wash up all over again. I don't think I'm going to do that. You can just wait outside for a while. See what she's saying? She lets him stand outside. Now, Nearly everything in the song is a double entendre. It's like a plain reading of scripture, and then there's this kind of underlying, more intimate reading of the poetry. So underlying this scene, there's a more intimate back and forth going on. She's asleep, but her heart is awake. Gives you the idea they had plans for the night, and he made her wait. 
And while she's waiting, the plans in her heart change. She started out ready and he wasn't home. Now she's not ready and he arrives. He doesn't know her plan has changed. So he knocks on the door and throws out the, open up my perfect lovey dove, you know, and she won't have it. She says no, and she starts making lame excuses. Now he's ready and she's not. She leaves him waiting outside. While she is waiting inside, they're both wondering when the other one is going to break. Neither one of them's happy. And things just get worse. There's a stalemate. She says, my beloved puts his, put his hand to the latch. What she's saying is, he's sitting out wet and cold. He gets the idea, she's probably not going to let me in tonight. This is bad. So he stands up. Wiggles the doorknob to see if she'd secretly unlocked. Uh, she hadn't. And so he decides, well, I better go find somewhere else. She pieces out. But when she hears that wiggling of the doorknob, something changes in her heart again. She started ready, and he wasn't. Then he was ready, and she wasn't. Now he left. He's not ready, but she is again. Something happened. She got filled up with compassion. Man, he's been waiting a long time outside, cold and wet. He's trying to get in. I better let him in. So she gets up, goes over. Here's what the Bible says. My beloved put his hand to the latch. My heart was thrilled within me. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. She opens up, he's gone. It's the opposite of what she wanted to happen. I wanted him home, not gone. I wanted his presence, not his absence. I wanted his love, but now he left. Friends, is this not closer to reality than the bounding through the fields, you know? This is a couple struggling to get on the same page. My guess is, if you've ever been part of a relationship for more than a couple weeks, you know what this is like. Like, for me, it started early. I was trying to have fun in the cafeteria I was ready to have fun. My wife wasn't. My fiance at the time wasn't. And so I was just joking around with her. Uh, I thought it was funny. She didn't. I was, more, I was more interested in having fun than in honoring her. I was being selfish. And this conflict happened as a result. It just revealed my heart. I was being selfish. Now at its root, if I were to give a definition, I think selfishness is just putting yourself first. It's thinking about yourself First. And that's exactly what was going on here in the song. The bride's upset that she had to wait for her husband to get home. So she gets selfish. She uh, thought, man, if I had to wait up for him, if he made me wait up for him, I'm going to make him wait outside for me. If I had to wonder when is he going to get home to me, I'm going to make him wonder when will I open that door. She's got a little bit of that, I'm going to give him a taste of his own medicine kind of attitude. And it's selfish. She didn't like waiting, wondering, and being awake, and yet she put him through the exact same thing. She's thinking about herself first. It's like poison to the relationship. Instead of closeness, there's distance. Instead of answers to the knocking, to the questions, there's excuses. Instead of peace, there's conflict. Now, just to be fair, he is not innocent in all of this, right? We get more of her story because the song is generally her story. So we see it more clearly from her side. But he's not innocent in all this. He knew he was late. He could have texted her to let her know what was going on. 
All right, you picked up on it. He couldn't have texted her. There wasn't texting back then. But you could text and let him know, all right? The point is, he could have taken steps toward her, but he didn't either. So selfishness is not just a female thing. You can be selfish whether you're a man or a woman. For that matter, selfishness is not just a married person thing. You can be selfish whether you're married or not. It's a human condition. And so at this point, let's just step aside for a second and make one observation about selfishness. The earlier you address it, the less damage it does. The earlier you address it, the less damage it does. Man, there were so many opportunities that either one of these two could have taken a step toward each other and things would have been better. He could have let her know he was coming home late. She could have answered on the first knock. He could have apologized when he knew he'd let her down or made her upset. She could have laid off the lame excuses. There were all kinds of opportunities for both of them to take a step toward each other, but neither of them did. Have you ever been there? You just wonder, man, how did what starts so small get so big? How did we get this far down the road? How did it get so out of hand? The earlier you address it, the less damage it does. Friends, conflict reveals the heart. This couple was steeped in selfishness, and it led to the conflict and now the groom is left, okay? Uh, but not all is lost. If the root of the conflict was selfishness, next we get to see what's the resolution. How do we get out of this mess that we've created? Let's see what the Bible says. The bride saw that her man was gone. Something changed in her heart. Look at what she says when she opens to emptiness. She said, my soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. This is a big change of heart, and I want to open it up just a little bit. The first thing she does when she opens up and he is gone is that she confesses to herself that she's failed. Her soul has failed her. She wanted him close, but she put herself first, and it drove him away. She failed. It didn't work. Selfishness was not successful. And when she recognized the results of that selfishness, she decided it's time to change. I can't go down this road anymore. She just confessed, admitted the failure, and then changed her heart. And we're going to see she puts him as number one again. You see it in this verse. She sought him. She called for him. And though he wasn't there and didn't answer, she didn't stop. She's going to start a search party to find her man and make things right. All right? The rest of chapter 5 is her on the lookout for the man that she loves. So we're going to look at how she searches. First thing that happens is sort of weird, okay? Um, she says that she went out into the city to look for him. The watchman found her, took her veil, and beat her. Okay, this is sort of serious. I just want to put it aside. Men, it is never okay to use your strength in violence against women. Just ever, anywhere. The Bible's not condoning it. I'm not condoning it. God's giving you strength. It is not to be used against women. That's not what the Bible's saying here. But let me tell you what I think it is saying. She went out to look for her husband late at night by herself. And in these days, that was a dangerous thing to do because the only women who would have done that would have been prostitutes. 
And in most places in these times, it was, an, it was illegal for a prostitute to wear a veil. So probably what happened in this situation is she went out to look for her husband. The watchman saw her with her veil on, assumed the only thing a woman would be doing out this late at night by herself would be prostitution. So they take her veil and then the punishment for breaking the law was a beating. And so that's what happened. The point here is not um, about violence against women. The point is she was seeking her man at great cost to herself. Even when it was difficult and dangerous, she was on the lookout. She wanted to make things right. And so you see this big change in her heart. Just moments ago, she was saying, how could I put my jacket on and get my feet dirty to unlock the door? Now she is out in the city risking her own well-being to find him. It's a huge change of heart. And so she's on the look, and when she can't find him on her own, she calls out to her uh, ladies and says, hey, will you help me? I need help finding him. And initially, they are not on board. Look at how they respond. What is your beloved more than any other beloved? Today's language, who's this guy? What's he got that any other guy don't got? They see, they know the story. He just left her, peaced out that night. They can see her veil's gone. She's got bruises. Why should we help look for this dude? What's so special about him? And on the one hand, well, I'm kind of torn about these ladies in this response, okay? Track with me. On the one hand, you want friends like this. Like if you're a single lady and you're dating a guy who's not treating you right, you want friends who are going to call that out. Like, hey, are you sure you should be with him? He's got to borrow your car to get around. He still lives in his parents' basement. The last paycheck he got was from a Fortnite competition. If you don't know what that is, it's a video game, not a real job, all right? If you're with that kind of guy, your friends better call that out. You want that kind of friend. But listen, if you're married, the game changes because you have vowed before God and man that you are committed until death do you part. And in that case... You want friends who don't always take your side first. You want friends who don't always take your side first. You want friends who always take your marriage's side first. Now, I'll be honest. There are times and seasons where marriages get dangerous and difficult. There's abuse, abandonment. I'm not saying your friends never take your side. What I'm saying is, when you're married, you want friends who take your marriage's side first, who fight for it. And that's what she wants in her friends, and we see it. Because when she asks for help, and they say, this guy left, why should we look for him? Maybe we should be looking for another guy for you. She will not have it. She honors him even though he's hurt her. And for the next seven verses, she's going to try to convince her friends to help her search for him. And uh, she praises his character, his physique, his companionship. Here's where she starts. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. Honest truth, I don't know what ruddy means, but I want my wife to call me that, okay? Uh, she's, he's ruddy. He's distinguished. He stands out in a crowd. He's got good character. He's a good guy. She says he's radiant, ruddy, distinguished. She goes on and describes his eyes and his hair and his cheeks and his lips. Short, uh, long story short, 
She likes his face, okay? She's good to look at, a little eye candy for her. And then she keeps going, says, his arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. I got to hope for ruddy because I'm never going to get that, okay? (laughs) That's just my life. (laughs) She's saying, my shepherd guy, he makes it to the gym once in a while and he don't skip leg day. All right, there's some chisel on his frame, and I like what I see. But her closing statement is the most compelling of all. Why should her friends help her look for her man? She says, his mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. If I were to put it in today's language, yes, he's a good kisser. I like everything about him. I love him. But if I'm going to put a hook, line, and sinker, my last plea, the final words, he's my friend. Why should her friends help her look for her husband? He's got good character, he's attractive, those things matter, but what matters more is that they are friends. She says, this man is not my enemy, he's my friend. Look, we, we enjoy hanging out with each other. They would have had memories together. They'd laughed together and cried together. They had favorite places to hang out together and favorite places to eat together. They would have had inside jokes that nobody else would laugh at except for them. They would have known secrets about each other that nobody else in the world would know. They would know each other's likes and dislikes, mannerisms and pet peeves, and they would enjoy those and sometimes take advantage of those and they would spend their time wanting to be together their connection was certainly physical but it wasn't just physical they were friends and she says to her ladies why do I want you to help me find him because there's no other guy that I have a connection with like that he is my friend and so she defends her man her girls respond all right which way did you see him go we'll help And long story short, the Bible doesn't tell us uh, who found who first or how long it took. It just said they found each other and the reunion was sweet, like Song of Songs sweet, and I'll leave it at that. They found each other and uh, made things right. I want to get practical here at the end. What do we take away from a story like this in the Bible? What, from Sunday morning to the couch on Sunday afternoon, what do we take away? Um, I think, number one, We actually believe that conflict reveals our hearts. So track with me for a minute. Think back to the last time that you were in conflict. If you're married, think about marital conflict. If you're not married, just any relationship conflict, think back, get one in your head. Okay. In that conflict, what was first in your mind? Was it justifying yourself? Was it winning Was it being right? Was it being understood or being heard? Or was it understanding and listening? Saying, how do I serve here? What would it look like for me to love even in conflict? Friends, the truth is, when we're in conflict, it doesn't take much effort to see where our hearts are, right? Conflict exposes the heart. And if that's true, then the question remains, how do we respond? When conflict exposes our hearts, how do we respond? I think the song shows us two things. We starve selfishness and we feed friendship. We starve selfishness, 
We feed friendship. We just saw how selfishness poisons relationships. The longer it rules, the worse things get. And so the question is, how do we loosen the hold of selfishness on our hearts? How do we stop the flow of that poison into our relationships? I think the answer is you starve it. You turn away from it. You no longer give it what it needs to thrive. So if selfishness is at its core putting yourself first, you starve selfishness by intentionally and purposefully putting something else, someone else first. If you're married, that's your spouse. This is not just my idea. It's in the Bible. So let me show you where it is. The bride in the song sings, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She's literally saying, I have given myself away. I am no longer my own. I no longer have the right to put myself first because I've given myself to him. And he has given himself to me. And if he's done that, the right response is to put him first. He's entrusted himself to me, given himself to me. I am his, he is mine. It's a mutual giving and receiving, possessing. If you do that, it kills selfishness because it starves it. You cannot be first yourself if you are intent upon putting someone else first. This is not just a marriage thing. This is a Christian thing. It's not just in the song. It's all throughout the Bible. Let me show you a couple places. Number one, Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. The world is going to say it's a race to the top. You have to perform, you have to achieve, you have to get your own when the getting is good. You got to climb up the ladder, even if it's stepping on everybody else so you can get there. In marriage, it's the same thing. You got to get your own. It's about your pleasure and your joy and your wants. It's a race to the top. Romans 12 says, no, flip that upside down. It is a race to the bottom. The Christian life is about who can honor others the most. Who can look at the world around them and most attribute to the people God's created the value he has invested in them? Outdo one another in showing honor. And it's not just here. Philippians chapter 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing. No more selfishness, no more conceit, no more being number one. It's only humility. It's acknowledging the significance of the other people in your life. You starve selfishness by putting someone else first. City Light, can I just ask you today, what would it look like to starve selfishness this week? What would it look like to show the people in your life how significant they are? If you're married, what would it look like to take a step this week week to let your spouse know how significant they are to you? How could you do it? If you're not married, ask the same question, except uh, do it for a family or a friend, a stranger. What would it look like to starve selfishness and let the people around you know that they are valuable? Number one, how do we respond when conflict reveals our hearts? If it reveals selfishness, you starve. Number two, conflict doesn't just reveal selfishness. Um, in some cases, it reveals a commitment to a friendship, okay? In those cases, 
Jesus. That's, this is what happened to the bride when she opened the door and her husband was gone. It is revealed to her, I didn't want him gone. I, I acted like that. I made some excuses. I made him wait. He would not have known from my actions that I wanted him around. But now that he's gone, I, I know it. I can feel it. There's a hole here that only he can fill. And I want him here with me. It, conflict revealed to her a commitment to friendship. As odd as it may sound, when this happens in conflict, it can actually strengthen your relationship. I think the right response in this case is to feed that friendship. You invest in it. You pursue it. You nurture it so that it thrives. A couple ideas from the song about how to feed your friendship. Uh, Both of them have to do with time, all right? The first one, spend time together. Just quantity of time. Intentionally spend time together. The bride and groom in the song, they grazed their animals in the same places, They had favorite places to hang out in the fields together. They had favorite rooms in the house to connect together. They just, as often as they could, they did things together. Just being in the same room, presence together. And so I'd ask you today, man, look at your calendar for this week and think about how much time am I intentionally building friendships? If you're married, how much time am I building a friendship with my spouse? If you're not married, how much time am I spending, building friendships with the people in my life that matter. You ask that, and then ask a follow-up, how can I add an hour or two to that this week? How can I grow intentionally, pursue and build into this? So number one, quantity of time. You build friend, you feed friendship by spending time together. Number two is quality of time. Like you don't just merely want to be in each other's company, you want to make memories together. Shared experiences create bonds that last, memories that matter. So like Sarah and I, sometimes we sit on the couch together and she watches Gilmore Girls and I have no interest in that. They just talk fast and it's all drama. I'm not, and I read the BBC uh, and she, like the app on my phone and she has no interest in that. Like, I don't care what's happening in North Korea, right? And so we sit next to each other and do our own thing. That's nice because we're in each other's company, but honestly, most of it's forgettable. And so That time is okay, but we also need to spend quality time together, making memories together, building bonds that last. And so I just ask, when's the last time you made memories together? How could you do that this week? Like, husbands, how could you plan a date to do things your wife likes to do and not complain while you do them with her? (laughs) If you're uh, wise, how can you find a new-to-you restaurant that serves the kind of food your man likes, and you take him there and just enjoy it together? Or when's the last time you pulled out and dusted off those board games that you used to play and just enjoy a night laughing together? Friends, we build friendships by spending time together and making memories. It's quantity and quality of time. This is where I want to end. Starving selfishness and feeding friendship is a picture of the Christian life because it is a picture of Christ's life. Are you tracking with me? It's a picture of the Christian life precisely because it's a picture of Christ's life. Look at what he says. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying the greatest love you could ever know is the kind of selfless love that puts yourself so far behind everyone else that you would actually give up your very own life for the benefit 
of your friends. And Jesus said that knowing that just a short time later, he was going to do that very thing. He was going to go to a cross and lay down his life for the friends that he loved. This is Jesus' story. He experienced the riches of heaven and stepped out to live a poor life among us. Jesus lived an innocent life, but he was condemned guilty. He took on our sin, our shame, our death sentence as his own. And he laid down his life so that he could call you his friend and you could call him your friend. And the the news that makes it even better is that Jesus did not do it out of duty or obligation. He did it out of love because he wants to call you his friend. City Light, Song of Songs is wisdom for today, for marriages, for relationships. It's wisdom for today, but oh, it should make us thirsty and thankful to know more of the love of Jesus Christ. Where do we get the power to live a selfless life, to starve selfishness? It's from the one who first did it for us. Amen? Can we just pray together and thank Jesus for all that he's done? Would you pray with me? Great and awesome God. Man, I thank you. I thank you that your word is honest. That uh, books like the Song of Songs certainly give us a taste and a look at the highest mountain peaks of life, the greatest joys we could ever know. But it doesn't ignore the fact that those mountain peaks, there's valleys between them. And you address the dark days, the conflict, the hurt, the pain. And God, I just want to pray today for people who are experiencing that sort of relational conflict, particularly for marriage couples. I think that's what the song is getting at today. God, I know there are marriages in here right now that are experiencing conflict. What started as love feels like the spouses have left. There's been um, abandonment. There's been um, infidelity. There's been words that hurt, actions that hurt, distance where they wanted closeness. God, I just know we don't have what it takes to make that right. Inside us, the throne of our hearts just calls, come sit on me, get your own, live for you. And God, I'm praying for the marriages where both spouses are sitting on that throne, experiencing that conflict and hurting because of it. God, would you redeem and restore? Would you do the work that we cannot do? Would you turn hearts like you did for the bride when she opened the door and he was gone? Would you turn hearts so that we no longer put ourselves first, but we put our spouse first? God, it's gonna take your spirit to do that. In marriages where pain where hurt, where distance has been so normal for so long. God, would you make a change? God, I'm praying that married couples today would actually do what your word calls us to do and look at how we can starve selfishness, how we can turn around. Pray that you would give opportunities, make them clear, give us courage to take steps to build friendships that long ago broke. God, would you work that? Would the marriages in this room be marriages that put on display a gospel of redemption, reconciliation, restoration, a picture, God, of what you want to do for your people. Would you heal marriages? Start today. And God, for that picture of what you want to do with your people, I just, 
If there's someone in here who's never had a relationship with Jesus and wondered, man, I, I just don't think he would ever do that. Like, I've, I hear what the Bible says, but I've not lived that way. I've rejected God for a long time. I've done things. If he knew what I did or who I was, there's no way he would love a person like me. There's conflict between you and God. If that's you, and I want you to see the picture of Jesus Christ today. He stepped out of heaven. He was the ultimate picture of self-sacrifice to show great love to a friend. He wants to do that for you. He's done it for countless others. He wants to do it for you. There is no place too dark for him to shine his light. There is no history too messed up for him to enter in. There is no person too far gone that his arm is too short to save. Jesus wants to call you his friend. And so if if you're longing for that, if you want that, today, turn to him. Turn to him. Accept that. Accept the sacrifice that he made on your behalf and call him your friend. You do that. He will love you. He'll be your friend now and for eternity. God, I thank you that the wisdom that you show us in the song is real for today. It's wisdom we can take home and put into practice this week. Man, it's also a pointer to the perfect person who did for us what we cannot do, and now he gives us the power to do what we cannot do without him. Oh God, would you get the glory in our lives now and always. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.